Welcome to episode seven of season seven of the Simplify and Multiply show. And today I'm going to have as my guest, Pat Iyer. Now, Pat is going to be talking about what it's like to be a ghostwriter and whether or not this is something that might be right for you to work on your next book. So we're going to have a lot of conversation around working with a ghostwriter, finding a ghostwriter, perhaps using collaboration with your ghostwriter to help you get that book done and to the publisher. So let's go ahead and get started with Pat. If you are a solopreneur and want growing your business to be easier, welcome to the Simplify and Multiply show, hosted by award-winning creative, business development expert, and tactical coach, Terry Pappy. The Simplify and Multiply show promises to become your practical, tactical, and motivational guide to succeeding as a solopreneur. Hey there, Solo. I'm Terry Pappy, and I created Simplify and Multiply to provide you a place where you can discover how to make your business more profitable. I'm going to do this by helping you remove the complexity from marketing and business development. So if that sounds good to you, listen in. Well, hey there, Pat. How are you? Welcome to the Simplify and Multiply show. Thank you so much, Terry. It's such a pleasure to be here talking with you. I know. You and I are both writers, and we could just go on and on about writing forever, couldn't we? <laughs> I love to talk about writing books. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, I, I wanted to have you on the show for a couple reasons. One is, you know, it, the ins and outs of ghostwriting, because there's a lot of people that are kind of stuck with moving forward with a book or the next book because either they don't have enough time or they feel that their writing quality just isn't quite there and they're they're just frozen so they end up not doing it but there are other ways that they can get that book written and so I want to talk to you about that and then after we kind of cover that I would like to talk about ways you can expand the ability for that content in that book to create other products in your business. So being that this season's all about writing a book that builds your business, we want to obviously leverage that value. So if you're game, let's go ahead and kick it off. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what is ghostwriting? When did you get involved in that? And and how are you uh, providing that service to your clients today? Ghostwriting is a funny word because sometimes people I encounter have never heard the word before and they raise their hands and they make their eyes real big and they say, but it's funny, you don't look like a ghost, you look like you're real. (laughs) I'm not sure how that word got into the English language. It commonly denotes somebody who helps an expert create something. That expert may not have the time or the skills to be able to write well, but has the knowledge. And that Mm -hmm. knowledge is trapped inside the person until somebody can provide the expert with a way to get that information out. Sometimes ghostwriters stay well hidden in the background. Many of the books that are on the New York Times bestseller list, for example, a very high percentage of them are ghostwritten. So you may have read books that have been written by somebody and you had no idea that the author of that book was not the person who wrote it. Sometimes people will list the ghostwriter on the cover of the book and it'll be Terry Pappy with Pat Iyer, for example, which would tell you that Pat Iyer was the ghostwriter. Right. 
And sometimes people will acknowledge and thank a ghostwriter in their acknowledgments, but the ghostwriter's name is not on the cover of the book. So there's all kinds of arrangements, and it makes it hard to figure out how prevalent ghostwriting really is because it's hidden assistance in some cases. That makes sense. I never really thought about it that way, but you're right. Um, you know, I, I think I've heard that James Patterson has other people writing his books nowadays, um, and he's published so many. And there are a lot of those serial uh, writers that have just book after book. Every year they're putting something out, and they get popular, and next thing you know, they're like, we need help writing these things. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they become very formulaic at that point, I feel. I've heard that what James Patterson does is give a outline of a plot to another person, and that person does all the writing, and that's why he can be as prolific as he is as an author. You will find his assistant being named on the cover of his books. Mm, interesting. Um, so you asked me how I got involved in this, and I, mm-hmm. I got a, a request from a fellow National Speakers Association member who had sent in a book proposal to a publisher, and the publisher liked the idea but felt that the author's writing style on the proposal was not what they were looking for. The agent of this individual said, I'd be happy to be your ghostwriter, and then quoted a price that made my friend turn pale. And then he turned to me and said, I don't think I want to spend that much money. And I said, (laughs) well, I can imagine. I'll do it for you at half the price which was a a generous offer, I realized in hindsight, because I didn't realize what I, since it was my first time ghostwriting, how much time was involved in it. Yeah, what you were taking on. Yeah, we've yes. all done that as solopreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can do that. You got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> right. And I have written or edited at this point 49 books. I have worked with several compilation books where I had to in essence, rewrite large sections of chapters. So I've done a lot of editing, but this was the first time that I took on that mantle of ghostwriter. Mm-hmm. We followed a, a very specific process that made it smooth because he was the content expert and the subject. He created a list of questions for each of the chapters that he wanted to cover in the book and were in the book proposal. And then I went through those questions with him in a recorded way and then took those transcripts, maybe an hour and a half transcript. It turned out to be 16 or 20 hours of work Oh my! to take the, because you know, when you speak, you, you tend to be informal, but yes. when you write, you have to think much more clearly about grammar and correct usage of words. So I took all of that content and then turned those into chapters, added examples, added stories, and fleshed out the subject for him. And that book turned out to be so popular that a year later, the publisher came to him and said, we would like you to do another book, and this is the topic we want you to cover. Would you please give us a proposal The first time we did a proposal, it took four months for the agent to land the contract with that Mm -hmm. publisher. The second time we did a proposal, we got an acceptance in 24 hours. Wow. 
That's awesome. Talk about a very steep learning curve. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. And, Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't realize that for nonfiction, and this goes back to when I was first learning, you know, I published my first book in 2007. So it's been a while since I've gone through the process. And that's when I was hitting hard to find an agent and do the proposal. And for nonfiction, they want a complete proposal and pretty much have everything up front. And but fiction, it's a different, you know, different cycle uh, because of, of the involvement of writing fiction versus nonfiction. But um but yeah, I totally get it. And it's, it's you know, we're going to have a lot of uh, people on here speaking to the different aspects around publishing. But when a, a solopreneur is looking to write their first or their next book, and they're feeling that, um, you know, they really could use some help, not just from an editorial standpoint, but actually a content creation standpoint. They know their stuff, like you were saying, they're an expert, they're the authority in that topic, um, and they can disperse that information to someone who can write it for them, how do they go about, like, what would you recommend is the best way for them to go about finding a ghostwriter? Because you're a busy lady, and if you're not available, (laughs) we got (laughs) to help them figure out, first of all, how do they know that a ghostwriter is the right way to go? And then secondly, how do they find a good ghostwriter? I think they would talk to people who they know, first of all, who've written books and inquire if they used a ghostwriter. A lot of this is having a good match between the person and the personality and the author. Yeah, I've heard that. Uh, That makes sense. You know, and and like all tricky things for anybody who's an entrepreneur who's listening to this, who's been in business, you know that you may meet somebody and they make a great first impression. At least this has happened to me. And then I brought them into my company as an employee, for example, And then I find out what they're really like to work with. And most of the time, it's (laughs) been a happy That's why we're solopreneurs. (laughs) We don't have employees. (laughs) Yes. um, But yeah, that's a great analogy. I have hired and fired more people than I want to remember at this point. And the people who I worked with, well, there was a good personality match. There was a good work ethic. The individual... Um, who you want to work with should be somebody who is diligent, who's conscientious, who's able to meet the timeline that you're looking for. You should look um, to ask for samples of that person's work. Mm, and and a, a referral or a recommendation from a client. Sometimes you're not in sync. Sometimes there's a personality conflict. And you know mm. it's better to reveal that in the beginning or to sniff it out rather than to get partway through a project. Um, One thing I want to stress, and it probably is something that has never occurred to you, Terry, and it never occurred to me, was that I heard of a woman who began a ghostwriting project with a man who who is an attorney. And after working with him for six months, she said to him, this is not your material anymore, it's mine because I'm writing it and I will retain the copyright, and I will publish it under my name. And he was devastated by this. Not a great thing to say to an attorney. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He was able to stop her. But one of the, the, the first line in my ghostwriting agreement is, this is your material, you hold the copyright, I agree not to use it in any way. 
Uh, that's something you wouldn't think would have to be explained. Yeah. But it in this needs situation, to be a work for hire. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know why this woman thought she could get away with it, and she didn't get away with it. But oh man, don't don't do that. It's yeah, it, it, it doesn't incredible. do good for her reputation, obviously. I don't know what she was trying to gain by owning that, unless she was just trying to get more money out of him or something. But in all of my contracts uh, through Better3, I always have it. This is a work for hire, and you own the copyright for all of this. And I do a lot of writing for my clients. Like, that's my number one skill set that people hire me for is copywriting and, you know, messaging. And it, when they pay their bills, they own everything because <laughs> it's a work for hire. So, yeah, definitely make sure that the legal's in place when you do have that arrangement. So I'm super glad that you brought that up. You're welcome. Hopefully it'll be a situation that none of our listeners will ever encounter. Yeah, it's always good to protect yourself whenever you're getting involved in any kind of co-creative endeavor uh, where there's, you know, you're creating a product that is going to be sold at some point, um, especially when there's intellectual property involved. And I think that's a great segue to start talking about uh, creating that authority through writing the book and you also help your clients uh, create additional assets in their business from the books that they have created, whether you ghost writ them or wrote them, excuse me, ghost wrote them <laughs> or not. And, and some of those things could be online courses, uh, workshops, um, you know, a different variety of things uh, that they can uh, extend to their audiences and their customers to, to further educate them in, in the area that they're working with. So talk a little bit more about that. What, is, what does that look like? And how do you see some of your clients using their material in other ways in their business? Terry will be right back with the rest of the show in just a moment. Whether you want to write a book to help build your business or it's simply a passion project, writing is a powerful form of creative self-expression. If your ideas will transform the lives of others, what are you waiting for? Let it pour out of you. A writer's journey is just that, a journey. Be honest, be real, and most importantly, be yourself. But if you're struggling to get it done, confused about how to tie it into your business, or dealing with a chronic creative block, get the guidance to get it done. If you want the creative fuel, the nurturing, and the challenge to make your book the best it can be, Pappy Club is the place for you. Join Pappy Club and discover how you can express your perspectives through something that strengthens your brand, your business, and supports the lifestyle you want. Try it for free by visiting pappyclub.com, and that's P-A-P-P-Y-C-L-U-B.com to sign up now, and I'll see you there. There's so many ways that you can use your knowledge. When you think about it, a book for $15 or $20 is just the beginning part of the content creation and the least valuable in pure dollars and cents. Mm -hmm. It's valuable in the sense that it puts the content together in one place and you can sell copies, but you will never become rich unless you are Mary Trump and you have sold 1.35 million copies of yeah, your book. volume game for in, sure. In the first week, you know. Yeah. But 99% of the people listening to this are never going to be in that situation. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the book as a content pot, it fuels many other types of resources. You could, for example, Terry, take the transcripts from this show 
edit them, turn them into chapters, that can become a book. Mm -hmm. You can take a book and take the content from the book and turn it into transcripts for a podcast, which you then record. The podcast introduces you to people all over the world who never would have heard of Terry in any way, except that she's come to you mm -hmm. into your ears. And the podcast opened doors for joint venture relationships, for consulting opportunities, for coaching. I have gotten coaching clients from my podcast, which I derive from transcripts from books that I wrote. Mm. You can also then, if you think in terms of coaching and consulting, you can take the knowledge that you've put into a book and use that when you're working with clients sharing that knowledge. You can take the content from a book and break it into small pieces and turn it into a membership site with that wonderful thing called recurring revenue, nice passive income. Although people have said there's nothing passive about passive income. That's really a misnomer. <laughs> but eventually it, it gets just makes to the it passive. sound sexy, right? <laughs> <laughs> it makes it sound like it's going to be easy, but mm -hmm. no, there has really. got that upfront work that you have to yeah, create. For sure. You can take the content that it's in a, in a book, reshape it into small video segments. And I know that um, you're in the. FSA, the Florida Speakers Association with That's me. That's correct, yes. In the Central Florida Speakers Association meeting, I belong to that chapter as well. We had I a know, session. that's where we first met because remember I lived in Orlando and so I would always yes. come to the Central Florida um, group. Uh, I think I started coming there in 2016 and that's when you and I first met. That's oh, how long nice. we've known each other, <laughs> cursorily. <laughs> Well, we had um, Anna Liotta, who is the outgoing president of NSA, right. came to speak to our chapter. What a sweetheart. She is. And yeah. you know, she commented that, that we have a tendency when we put together online courses of dumping a lot of content in them and that we need to pull back. So if you took one of your books, Terry, and broke it down into 300-word chunks, that's about a three, two-and-a-half, three-minute video. You could put together a group of videos based on the content in your book, and that would have a higher perceived value than the book itself. Yeah, and that makes sense. And here's the thing, because I'm always listening for the customer experience. And when you look at creating content, yes, it's great that you, know, you can have all these different uh, executions or implementations or deployment, <laughs> throw a bunch of words out there, uh, of your material. But in the end, what you're doing is you're doing a service to your clients and your customers and your audience because you're giving them more opportunities to learn and employ what it is that you're you're providing. So that way they get the opportunity to practice it, to try it in different ways through the video, for example. I mean, you can't have video inside a paper book. At least the technology we have today right. <laughs> does not allow for that. But um, I think that that's a, a great way to deepen the learning and create a richer experience. Uh, one of the things I've noticed in the last uh, five or so years, maybe even more now, it's, it's almost becoming ubiquitous that a lot of these nonfiction books will have companion websites you can sign up for. They'll have additional download worksheets and things like they're almost trying to create a, a, an online course or a program, if you will, 
out of that paper book that that they're selling on Amazon. And I think that that's fascinating because it's a great way to build relationship. It's a great way to build brand and deepen the value that you're offering because it's scalable. And that's the best part about all of these types of publishing is this is all fully scalable, whether you have a membership site, online course, you know, a video training series or whatever, they're fully scalable and, and many, many people can consume them at their leisure. And by putting all of those enticing offers inside your book, you've captured the name and email address of the purchaser who bought the book on Amazon and Amazon is never, ever, ever going to tell Terry who bought her Heck book. no. But if Terry pulls it out. They're just going to take 70% of my royalties and then send me a 39 cents on the books I sold that month. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why you want to get that information. Um, I didn't mention something that I have done several times, which is I have written a book that I made purposefully generic not necessarily associated with my brand. The book that I put together was on medical records for attorneys, and I sold the licensing rights to legal nurse consultants, which is the background that I have, so that they could put their name and bio inside the book. And then I've ghostwritten the book. They can pass it out to their prospects and clients. I charge $2,500 for the licensing rights. I've sold, I think, 12 of those so far. Nice. And it took me, I'm almost ashamed to say it took me about five hours to put that book together because I repurposed content that I had created. Yeah, so there's more than five hours invested in what you created for sure. (laughs) It was just the packaging for that particular licensure purpose that that really is the five plus hours. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So if... So that's another not-so-well-known model, but another way to generate income by ghostwriting material and then selling the rights to people. They, they could be real estate agents. They could be dentists. They could be attorneys. It could be any number of professions based on your expertise. That now, I, they I want to ask some questions about that particular example because the first thing that comes to my mind is – if you're selling basically the same generic content, and you can expand on what you mean by generic content to different entities that they can put their name on and say, this is my book, um, isn't there going to be some collision if many of these things are out in the marketplace, especially if it's the same industry, that that there's similar, like literally could be similar books that they would be, you know, have problems with that? How does that work? It's an interesting question, and it is a question that comes up commonly. The way that people have addressed it is by having geographic limitations. So, for example, you might sell the rights to somebody in the state of Florida. Somebody else might buy the rights who lives in Kansas. Somebody else is in Montana. So you would, as the ghostwriter, limit the number of people who had access to that material and also stress to individuals that You can go in and modify this information in any way you want. You can add a chapter, you can subtract a chapter, you can add your own examples. The other horrifying truth about this is that just the fact that you hand out a book to somebody, it will hurt your feelings and my feelings to know the number of times people buy our books and never open them and never detect 
that that book has somebody else's name on it. It may be a different title, but it's the same content. Interesting. So you're getting cachet just for the fact that you've written a book mm-hmm. and then given somebody what we all call, you know, a very sophisticated business card. It's better than having a card that you hand somebody because people throw out cards, but they hold on to books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, as, I, as I'm as i hearing you say that, I'm thinking to myself, do I have any books on my bookshelf that I have never read, like front to back? And I will say that I have gotten people who have handed me books as their quote unquote book business card. And because it had a topic that I was completely not really interested in, um, that there are a couple on my bookshelf that I have not gotten to yet. And um, as much as I'd love to to sit down and just read, because I'm, I'm very curious about people's writing skills, uh, because I love to hear the writer's voice in how they're writing. And I think that's a true gift that a, a writer can bring their personality and their heart in their copywriting. Um, so you feel like you're getting to know them, um, you know, like read any Rachel Hollis book or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a, a good memoir, like Jeanette Walls is one of my favorite memoir writers. And uh, it's just you just get enraptured by the pictures that they're painting and you can feel the pain, you can feel the emotion. Um, And so I always get curious, even if I do, if I am given a book by, uh, you know, someone I'm just meeting or what have you, that uh, really isn't a topic or something that, but I do start reading to just get a feel for their writing style and how they're structuring the books. So for me, it's more curiosity around that than it is the topic. And I think that that really says a lot around just kind of thrusting someone your book because, oh, I wrote this book here, you know. Um, I know I give my books that I've written, like my Compass Playbook, which is a a very fun workbook on creative problem solving that is very positively focused. And I feel great about it, right? Like I'm like, oh, here, but it's a workbook. (laughs) So people, you know, if they're going to do it, it's not like you sit down and you read something, you know, like people I've given my memoir to, they read it and they get back to me and they're like, oh my God, Terry, what a story about you and your husband, Chuck, and blah, blah, blah. And, but the, the Compass Playbook, you know, I'll hand it to them and they'll look at it, but they won't really, you know, I get a variety of responses and I think they're more touched or moved by the fact that I brought a physical book, that I signed it, personalized it for them and gave it to them. I think it's more about that gesture than it is, oh, look, here's a book that I'm going to dive right into. Um, So I think that's kind of just how my experience has been of it. I don't know if you've had a similar experience yourself. You know, I have workbook aspects in my most recent book, which was on networking, online networking. But I don't think that I've ever written a pure workbook with one exception, which was the first book that was ever published started off as a self-learning module. Hmm. And if you come from an education world, you may remember that term. It was essentially, it was a workbook. And we went to a publisher, the three of us who co-authored it, and asked a publisher to publish it as is. And they said, this needs to be a textbook. It needs to be a narrative really? form. Interesting. Can't, it's too skeletal for our purposes. Yeah. Hmm. We said that's too much work. We're not going to do that. We'll find another publisher. 
And we went to the second publisher and the publisher said, this is a great workbook. It's a great self-learning module, but it really needs to be fleshed out and turned into a textbook that we can sell in schools of nursing. And luckily we paid attention and that was my first book in 1986. So that's the closest I ever got to trying to get a workbook published. Mm -hmm. But I see, and I've been interviewing people from my podcast, Writing to Get Business, I've, I've seen people who have taken workbooks that they've developed for the courses that they teach and then are selling the workbooks as along the with the course. Yeah. And that's a, that real, that's a great model, too. Yeah, that's more of a, uh, a true functional model, you know, where it really uh, just helps facilitate the learning process. And that way, the, the people that have signed up for the course have that to reflect on, because a lot of people need something to write in, mm-hmm. to take notes, to do exercises, and to refer back to after they've completed the course, whether it's a virtual course or something that they've done in person. So that's really interesting. So what are some other things that you could offer up as we wrap up the, the session here? Uh, as far as what are some things that are ways for a solopreneur to decide whether or not they, because you gave so many different options on how to leverage the content, you know, where to find the ghostwriter, do I need a ghostwriter? So if they're kind of not sure if they're this is their first pass at a book, uh, what what are some of the recommendations you'd make to help them suss that out? I would say be very clear on the objective of what you want to accomplish with a book because it is an investment of time and money. And it should be something strategically that you pick that's directly related to your business. Uh, poetry, for example, and fiction are probably not going to be good choices for you. Right, uh, and sometimes even memoirs are not good choices. Mm-hmm. The nonfiction business books, although lots in number, tend to be where people who are solopreneurs really shine because mm-hmm. they're showing sure. their expertise, they're attracting their ideal client to them, they're leveraging that content. It's opening up doors for opportunities. So I would say be very strategic. But also, don't get paralyzed by this either. Mm. Um, oh, I had a chance to edit a book for a woman last year who kept that book on her hard drive for 15 years. Oh, my goodness. And she finally oh. got it out. But yeah. uh, she told the story of her husband dying suddenly on a mountain in uh, when he she went to pick him up from a Boy Scout camp, and he was just dead, cardiac arrest. Hmm. And she described in the book how she had to deal with sudden widowhood and then rebuilding her life. And it wasn't until one of our fellow NSAers, uh, Diana Booher, who has written many, many books, she said to her, look, you know, you need to share this information with other people. And Diana referred her to me to edit the book for her. But it wasn't until... She got that strong encouragement that she felt ready to release it. But mm. I think about all the people that she could have helped yeah. in those 15 years who've gone through that same, my life has totally changed. Yeah, that same trauma. So don't don't agonize over this forever. There are lots and lots and lots of books that are never 
being written because people are afraid they're no good or they don't understand the process. It's important to let it out. Yeah, give it oxygen. I love that. That's a great um, that's a great takeaway just from this whole conversation that we've had, Pat. And I, I so appreciate you for everything you shared. I know there's a lot of nuances to this business and a lot of ways to uh, dig into it and explore a good strategy so you can leverage the book that you are writing to build your business. So uh, for my listener, I'm going to have a lot of great information uh, about how you can connect with Pat and, uh, you know, find out ways that you can strategically plan this book. So it becomes more than just a, a, a passion project. It becomes something that's going to feed and fuel your business. So, Pat, thank you so much for being here. I look forward to seeing you at the next uh, chapter meeting, whether it's virtual or in person. And uh, I wish you well. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I've really enjoyed the chance to talk with you. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for joining me. You know, being a solo can be incredibly rewarding when you have the right guidance, resources, and community to help drive your business vision. The great news is that's exactly what you'll get with Simplify and Multiply. You've just listened to another episode of the Simplify and Multiply show with Terry Pappy. If you want to get free marketing and business development tips, templates, trainings, and more, head over to simplifyandmultiply.com and sign up. Learn how you can grow your business the easy way. That's simplifyandmultiply.com to join our growing community of amazing, talented solopreneurs out to simplify their business, multiply their income, and make a big impact in the solopreneur economy.